the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Links and Locks podcast, the DFS edition. We're going to go through this week's RBC Canadian Open. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. He is Len Hochberg from RotoWire. And Len, I don't know if you try to write Horschel on your phone, does it autocorrect to Hochberg or does Hochberg autocorrect <laughs> to Horschel? I don't, I don't know how it goes. Yeah, that would have been nice. I would like nothing more than my family to run out onto the course and congratulate me. And then uh, and then I get to shake hands with Jack Nicholas. Yeah, that was me. That was me. <laughs> so what we have this week at the RBC Canadian Open is a an extremely weird field. I tweeted it out. I know you've been looking at it throughout the day as well, but we've got five of the top 10 in the world, which that sounds really good. We've got nine of the top 25, so it's okay. Only four of the next 15. Interesting, but okay, that's still pretty good. 12 of the top 50. Like, wait, so only three guys between 26th and 50th on the official World Golf Ranking. It's very strange. It's a very top-heavy field. I mean, if I was a conspiracy theorist, Len, maybe suggest that the PGA Tour persuaded some of the big-name players to go across the border up north to play this week in order to deflect any attention from, I don't know if there was like another league, another tour that was being played starting up this week. I don't know, just throwing it out there. Who knows? But maybe that's part of it. And that's part of the rationale. this week. That might be part of it. The fact that the Canadian Open got hit by the pandemic worse than any other tournament. We haven't seen it since 2019. It wasn't like it was played halfway with no fans. It just hasn't been played in two years. We feel bad for them that there is this controversy and their centerpiece guy I don't know if we can mention him, the former RBC guy is gone and they thought he would be there. And I'm happy that they have some big names. It's one of the oldest tournaments in the history of the world, but I think it's the fourth oldest behind the two opens and the, the old Western open. So it deserves something after three years of being dark. So it's good that that doesn't make our job easier with the real imbalance feel, but it is what it is. Len, it's okay. You can mention the name. We can still say it on the podcast. Matt Kuchar, not playing in the field this week. Okay. Uh, Len, I don't think I've ever done this on the podcast with you. I usually like to try to prep and prepare. I, of course, wrote my column on the Action Network that's out already. I previewed the event, but I did my radio show, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the world of golf today. And so I have not even looked at prices yet. So I'm going to be flying in blind as we do this. Before we get into breaking down the field from top to bottom from a DFS perspective. Is there any game theory that you're looking at this week with such a top-heavy field? Yeah, we were at St. George's Golf and Country Club, and it's probably not known by a lot of people. We have not seen it since 2010 when the Canadian Open was last played there. But it is a world-class venue. It's on everybody's top 100 list worldwide, all Golf Digest, Golf, all the different entities that do these things. I've seen it as high as in the 30s. It's the number three course in Canada. 
The reason we haven't seen it is because there's just not a lot of land, not a lot of property. It's sort of getting spaced out by the modern day requirements of hospitality and everything required on the PGA Tour. But it's a short course. It's just about 7,000 yards. It's a par 70. It is narrow, tree-lined fairways. You're going to have to keep the ball in the fairway. The greens are tiny, not small, tiny, 4,000 square feet, bent grass greens. The whole course is pretty much bent grass. There's a lot of bunkers strategically placed around the course. This is really driving accuracy. I don't want to call it a second shot course because you really have to hit your first shot pretty well too. It's an odd construction, five par threes, three par fives. The par threes are very long. Four of the five are over 200 yards. The par fives are short. So where is that distance being made up? Well, they have seven long par fours of at least 450 yards. The field, as you said, very top heavy at the top. To further go on what you were saying, only 20 of the top 100 in the field. Uh, There are about almost half the field is outside the top 400 in the world. There are a lot of Canadians who got in. I think that's proper, but they're not the best golfers. They're not highly ranked. There's a lot of guys in the 120 to 6 to 150 category. There's even more guys in the reshuffle 34 to 38 category. And I will quiz you later on what categories 34, 35, 36, 37, and 38 all mean. I always like to pick a guy under 6,500. This is really, really challenging this week. But I think we can eliminate maybe about a third of the field. Maybe about 50 guys. Yeah, I Um, tend to agree with you there. All right, let's start with the top of the field. Scotty Scheffler, he's number one in the world. He's number one on our boards this week, uh, 11,100 for him. Justin Thomas checks in $200 cheaper at 10.9. Rory McIlroy, 10.5. Cam Smith, 10.3. Shane Lowry, 10.1. Sam Burns, 10,000. If you're going for one of the big guns this week, Len, is there one guy or maybe two guys that you're looking at ahead of others? Well, based on what I was just saying, I think it's going to be very hard to go with these guys and be able, because you're going to have to go down to the far end to complete your lineup. Once you have one of these really top guys, expensive guys, you're going to have to save money somewhere else. So it's hard. That said, I always give everybody in my Rotowire column, give everybody a cross-section of every price range, who I like in every price range, whether I eventually put them in my lineup, I don't know. But I think you have to consider Scotty Scheffler just about every time out now. I mean, looked like he might have been in a mini slump, but I mean, he's one miracle Sam Burns putt away from having a fifth win before June 1st. So he's there. He's good. I don't think the fact that it's a short course matters to him. Rory McIlroy has been playing as well as anyone who hasn't won. I think I like those two guys best among the 10,000s. I'm looking at Justin Thomas, and I get he's coming off a major championship victory just a a few weeks ago, but the last four times that JT has played the week before a major championship, he's finished in the top 10 every single time. And so I just think there's something to that. There's something to some of these superstar players are going to show up and say, hey, I just want to kind of get into the groove a little bit, leave some gas in the tank for the U.S. Open next week and not give it everything I've got. Then other guys like JT are going to want to, Hey, let's get some momentum. Let's get some things getting in the right direction for next week's event. Based on recent history, JT 
likes to get after. I like Rory as well. Quite frankly, I'm in favor of diversification. If you're going to make multiple lineups this week, it's a little here, it's a little there, it's a little this. Find guys cheaper down the list that you really like and sort of mix and match where you can go, hey, let's throw a Scheffler-Lowry lineup with a bunch of guys in the low 7,000s, high 6,000s, if you can find guys that you like there. Let's throw JT and Rory together and see what we can make with those other guys. I think that might be the best way to construct a lineup this week. I just don't see it going, hey, let's go all in. Let's go 90% JT or 90% Rory or 90% Cam Smith this week. I don't like any of those guys that much more than any of the other ones. I think Shane Lowry is a decent play, but for the most part, I'm going to spread it around amongst those guys and not really go all in on any singular player. All right, the 9,000s, and there are going to be some names here that we don't often see in the 9,000s. Matt hmm. Fitzpatrick, 9,900. He actually was second in the field in strokes gained tee to green last week, but he only played 36 holes because he missed the cut because his putting was terrible, but very interesting play there. Harold Varner, the third at 9,700. Paying up for HV3. Corey Connors, Tyrrell Hatton, Tony Finau, Adam Hadwin, Sebastian Munoz, Chris Kirk, and Keith Mitchell round out that next tier of players. Are you favoring the O Canada narrative this week, Len, of... Corey Connors, Adam Hadwin playing in their home country. Does it matter? Do we care? No Canadian, by the way, has won this one since Pat Fletcher back in 1954. We all remember what a great week Pat had that week up in Canada. Yeah, I remember that. They thought it would be a great run for Canadian golf going forward. I mean, I looked at Corey Connors' record, and granted, you know, he hasn't played since 2019. He's a far more accomplished player, but he's been miserable in this tournament, you wonder if there is pressure. So I'm a little wary of Corey Connors. I really like lower in the nines. Tony Finau, you know, he had one good week in Mexico. And okay, that's not enough for me. But then he was again, he was good at the Charles Schwab. He was fourth there. So he's had two top fives recently. I like him there. Sebastian Munoz, we've talked about him a bunch here. Chris Kirk, they seem to come to play every week on some level. And even Keith Mitchell, I like, uh, we talk about him all the time. He was 18th last week at the Memorial. So I like a bunch of those guys in the lower nines, and I could see a lot of lineups with some combination there. I'll start with Corey Connors. I like him at 9,600. I'd like him more if it wasn't in Canada, only because I just think ownership percentage is going to be way up there. I'm not good at predicting these things, especially on a Monday afternoon as we're speaking right now, but I have a feeling that this is going to be a Corey Connors chalk week in DFS. And I don't know that I want to be all in on the same guy that everybody else is. But that said, I do like Connors. I like his game. Traditionally, Finau is a guy who started to play better. Look, he went 16 straight events after his win at the Northern Trust last year without a top five. Top five, Tony was not getting top fives. Now has two in his last four starts. Very interestingly, Finau has played some of his better golf over the years at shorter golf courses, even though we all look at him and go, wow, big dude hits it a mile. And he does but it seems like he's more comfortable on some of these shorter courses where maybe he doesn't need driver. Maybe he just kind of likes that feeling of, you know, being able to golf his ball around a shorter golf course, having wedges into the greens. Hadwin I'm okay with, again, kind of feel the same way as Corey Connors. People going, oh, he's from Canada. Got to play him this week. Yeah, Hmm. I like him. He's been really good this year, but again, you're paying up for him. Here, Sebastian Munoz is a guy that I do really like this week. The one thing I don't like the last time I picked Munoz was the AT&T Byron Nelson opened with a 60 that week. He got into serious contention on 
Sunday afternoon. I watched him intently that day for some specific reasons, Len. And boy, I didn't like what I saw. He just seemed like his body language was that he wasn't going to win that day. He knew it from the first tee shot and just was not quite into what he was doing. And I don't like to see that for a guy that I do like to bet on and play DFS with. So I'm a little reticent to play Munoz, but I do like his game. I I do think it's going to be, you know, if not a serious title contention, he'll be up there. And you mentioned Keith Mitchell. Look, we're on him seemingly every week. I don't think it's a great course for him, but boy, would I hate to be off Keith Mitchell on the one week that he actually does go play really well. So maybe I have a little investment on Mitchell as well. 8,000s, Patrick Reed, Justin Rose, Sahith Figala, Jonathan Vegas, Mackenzie Hughes, Rasmus Hoygaard, Brendan Todd, C.T. Pan. Some good names here, some sneaky names, I think. This is where we can get a little different, and I think we can get our hands dirty in this range here. Not big on Reed. I know Reed was... Think was very popular last week, coming off a good week the week before, and he's just not the same guy that we're seeing. Justin Rose is really an all or nothing guy. He has great weeks. He has missed cuts. I don't know if that happens when you're in your 40s, but I would think that this would be a good place for him in a perfect world where he succeeds. So his Tagala, I like this week at 8,700. He's at a nice price. You can fit him in a lot of lineups. He had a good week last week. Vegas was. Great again last week for three rounds, just imploded with an 81, but he's having a very good season. And Brendan Todd, another short course guy who I go to, and there'll be a few of them. They're my go-to short course guys, and he's one of them and just a very good accuracy guy. And oddly enough, a par three efficiency, 200 to 225, four of the holes are 200 to 225 in par threes. So a big chunk of the course. He's fifth on tour in that. I don't know how that is. But he plays those long par threes very well. And I think that's a nice bonus for someone who plays the rest of the course pretty well in a lot of situations. I like a lot of that. I listed Justin Rose, my favorite outright this week in my preview column. It doesn't necessarily mean that I think Rose is going to win this week. What it means is I'm getting off the guys with really short numbers. And we mentioned the field being top heavy. Those guys have super short numbers, four guys that 10 to one or shorter this week. I'm staying far away. I just thought Justin Rose has win equity. And so at 80 to one, I like chasing him in that marketplace and DFS. I don't know that I like him enough. I don't think he's enough of a bargain at 8,800 to really get after him, but I'll have some Rose. I feel about the same way about the Gala coming off a fifth place finish last week. I feel like we're chasing it a little bit and we're trying to uh, replicate what he did last week. And so I don't know that he necessarily is going to do that. And the bottom of the 8,000s, you mentioned Brendan Todd. Love him this week. Brendan Todd is a guy who, it's kind of like Haley's Comet, Len. Doesn't mm-hmm. happen all the time. But when it happens, you better be there and you better look up and you better catch it. Because the last time Brendan Todd had a top five finish was three years ago. And he looked like the best player in the world for a month. Had two wins and right. a fourth place finish. Then he went for about three years without having one. Finished in third at Colonial just two weeks ago. That was his kind of golf course. This should also be his kind of golf course. 8,200 for Todd's really nice. And then CT Pan at 8,100 has gained strokes with his approach shots in eight straight events. He's a very underrated player. Doesn't miss many cuts. I get it. You probably, you know, for 8,100, you want somebody who's a little more than just a high floor kind of play. But I do think he's a really nice play. And as we get into the 7,000s, there's a guy right below them at 7,900, Aaron Rye who's exactly the same type of player as Todd and Pan. You don't need these big bangers this week 
Give me the guys who are sort of understated, just precise, accurate types. I like Rye this week. Let's see, moving down the 7,000s again. I've done zero DFS research coming into this. So flying a little blind here. Dylan Fratelli, I don't mind too much at 7,600. Matt Wallace has been playing some decent golf on the DP World Tour. He's 7,400. David Lipsky is another one of those guys, very much like Rye, very much like Todd and Pan. I will have a few lineups that maybe starts with the four of those guys and then see what we have from there. And then let's see, moving down a little bit, a little Chase Seifert at 7,100, Brant Snedeker 7,100. That's about all I see in that range. There's not a ton to get after here, Len. It's really hard to do this, but we have to adjust our thinking because everyone is going to be higher priced except for the top five or six guys. Everyone is going to be higher priced than we normally see them. And we say, I don't want to pay that price, but it's a different field. It's a hard mental game. We have to play. That said, I do too like Aaron Rye. He just missed another top 25 last week in the Memorial. Much tougher field than this week. He was 26. He's just outside the top 25 in driving accuracy. He's inside the top 50 in greens and regulation. That's a very nice combination for this week. Tyler Duncan, I always like him on the shorter tracks. He was 16th at Colonial, I think, and 12th way back at Harbortown. He really can compete on the shorter tracks. Now, granted, when we were looking at him those weeks, he was 6,300, 6,500. Here he's 75. It's like sticker shock. Talk about inflation. But I do like him as well this week. And two other guys in the low sevens, Matthias Schwab, playing very well quietly in a nice rookie season, made Mm -hmm. six of his past seven cuts, 10th on tour in that long par four category, 450 to 500. And Stefan Jaeger really struggled coming back after a good corn ferry season, but he's played well until missing the cup at the Charles Schwab, 15th Mexico, 6th the TPC Potomac, another narrow track, plays the long par threes and the short par fives very well statistically. Both of those guys, 7,300. All right, I'm looking down the list of the 6,000s here and I'm talking <laughs> Slim pickings. Okay, I'll give you three names, though. Adam Shank had some fantastic ball striking numbers last week at the Memorial. T to green, he was fifth. Strokes gained approach, he was fourth. He only finished, what, 26th on the leaderboard? And really, he was neutral with his chipping, and he he lost strokes with putting, but it wasn't like Adam Scott losing strokes with his putting the other day. I mean, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. And so Adam Shank looks like all facets of his game are moving in the right direction, 6,900. I think that's a good price for him if you're trying to fill a spot a little bit lower. Here's a name for you, another Canadian, Michael Glidgick. And we're speaking now where golf's longest day is not yet over. But from early returns at the polls, Michael Glidgick was leading his sectional that he was playing earlier today. He's at 6,600. He's had a couple of Good finishes lately. He was 37th at the Wells Fargo, 24th at the Mexico Open. He's got some decent finishes. Again, for a guy who's 6,600, you're essentially just looking to make the cut. And then, Len, you said you're looking for a guy that's below 6,500. It's really tough this week. I don't know if we're going to come up with the same guy. But Chris Goddard is, let's just say it, uh, based on all the field, the price this week, he's priced wrong. He should be in the mid-7,000s this week. This kid just graduated from University of Oklahoma. He won the Haskins Award as the best player in collegiate golf, finished top 10 in his last four starts as an amateur. He's now turned professional. He also was playing well at sectionals the last time I checked. 
I don't know if he's finished yet. He's played one career PGA Tour event. All he did was finish in seventh place at the Puerto Rico Open. He's my guy in the under 65 category as well, for all the reasons that you said. Uh, And I looked at when he did finish seventh in Puerto Rico, he led the field in driving distance, which is kind of interesting because Puerto Rico is not a long course, but he was also pretty accurate. 58th in the field in accuracy, top 50 in greens and regulation. These college guys, we just see more and more, they come out ready to play. One other guy I'm looking at in the sixes is Brandon Wu, made the cut at the Memorial, kind of a shorter hitter, but he did well in Mexico. He played well in Puerto Rico, even better than Goderup did. All right, time to make our lineup. And again, we say this every week, but we can go a million different directions with what we want to do this week. All right, where do you want to start at, Len? Sometimes you do this. You start at the bottom and work your way up. We don't always do that, but we both like Chris Goderup. So mm-hmm. let's get rid of the suspense and they'll give us, free us up to do some other things. Let's get him in there right now at 6,300. I love that idea. In fact, I was going to go with him if you didn't. Like I said, I think he's mispriced. Look at what we do. When we throw him in to start the lineup at 6,300, we now have 43.7 left to spend, 87.40 per man. I mean, you can almost just load up on really good players at this point. I am going to go below the average remaining that we have for players. I'm right in that range of Brendan Todd, CT Pan, Aaron Rye. Ooh, I can go with any of them. In fact, I like all of them. Let's go right in the middle with CT Pan. I just like his ball striking. I think he's got maybe the highest floor of the three, if not the highest ceiling. That's a real sweet spot. I'm going to go Tony Finau at 94. You mentioned earlier that he plays well on the shorter courses, which would not seem to be what we would think of. But my own theory on this, and I don't have any data to back this up, but the shorter courses, I don't know, they might have smaller greens because if they're going to be short courses with big greens, That might be too easy. I really think the shorter greens help the poorer putters. I think he's actually a little bit better putter lately than the narrative have stuck with him for a lot of years now. I like that. I was thinking about putting Finau in as well. I'm going to go back to one of the guys that I just hemmed and hawed about and didn't take, but you like Brendan Todd. I like Brendan Todd coming off a third place finish in his last start. I'm telling you, he's a momentum type player. Once he plays well, He should play well for a little while in a row. And he plays well on these types of golf courses. 26th at Harbortown, third at Colonial. I mean, at this one, he's got to be licking his chops saying, this is the type of place where I can contend again. I'm going to throw in Brendan Todd at 8,200. I'll throw a few names out there. I mean, maybe I won't go this low, but, you know, I love Tyler Duncan. I'm always big on him in these situations. He's only 7,100. Then we could even get a $10,000 guy in there. Mm -hmm. I like Aaron Rye. I like Keith Mitchell. I think we all do. All right, let's pay up for Keith Mitchell because I think of all of those three, I think he could win or touch the top five. I like that. I'm going to give you two options here. So if you had gone Tyler Duncan at 7,100, I could have countered with Justin Thomas and filled him in. I think that's a nice lineup. If you had gone with the other name you mentioned, Aaron Rye at 7,900. I would have enough left over to spend on Shane Lowry at 10-1, who I also like. And so, as I mentioned before, there's not a whole lot for the top tier I don't like. So you kind of diversify. You kind of pick and choose the guys that you like a little bit lower this week and then fill in the blanks with whoever is up there that you can spend on. All right, so Mitchell at 9,000. We've got exactly 9,000 left. All right, look, you mentioned he's all or nothing, and I agree with that. I think it can be a good Justin Rose week. He just hasn't played a whole lot. Brings me back to 2014. Justin Rose, the defending champion of the U.S. Open. He missed 
about two months due to a bum shoulder, had a shoulder injury. And I remember talking to him probably right around this time of year, maybe a little bit earlier in 2014. I said, man, it was a bummer and you're still getting back and he'd been starting to play well. And granted, he was in his prime then. He might not be so much anymore, but he said, you know, I just feel like I'm going to have a lot more left in the tank. When other guys are sort of just going through it, through the motions in the summer, I'm going to have more left. That summer, he won twice in a row and then afterwards didn't miss the cut for the rest of the year and had four other top five finishes around the world. I feel like Justin Rose has only played nine events so far this year. He's been sort of just absent. He's played two times since the Masters. Just like haven't seen him around, just haven't seen enough of him. I feel like maybe, just maybe, the same thing could happen with Justin Rose, which is, hey, you know what? He's rested up. He's got more in the tank when other guys are kind of going through the dog days of summer. They throw Justin Rose in there. Tony Finau, Chris Goddard, Keith Mitchell, C.T. Pan, Justin Rose, Brendan Todd. That is an eclectic lineup, but I don't mind it. It's going to be a weird week. It already is. And let's get weird with this stuff up north in Canada. Thanks so much to everybody out there for listening to this edition of the Links and Locks podcast. Remember, you can listen to us, rate us, subscribe, and download wherever you find your favorite podcast every single week for Lynn Hochberg. I'm Jason Sobel. Good luck with all your plays for this week's RBC Canadian Open. Here's open you. Hit the green.